This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. So the time has just gone nine minutes past the hour of 10 o'clock. It is time for us to get into uh, a review of the headlines this weekend in a lot more depth. And it is my great pleasure to welcome Omri Mahwale, uh, who is an independent political analyst. May I just start off by saying good morning? And did I pronounce your name correctly? Yes, good morning. Yes, my, my name is pronounced with a double M. It's Mahwale. Mahwale. Yes. Okay, thank you for your patience with me on that one. Uh, and welcome. So quite a few issues that you want us to pay attention to. Let's start off with um, the one in the city press about the fact that, um, a, you know, the headline reads, cash-strapped Air Force takes ANC's top dogs on joyrides between Cape Town, Waterkloof and Mbombella. And basically, it's a story about the fact that on the weekend of the ANC's 112th birthday celebrations in Mbumalanga, um, senior ranking members of the party uh, who are also um, members of the executive, the president, the deputy president, some ministers, needed to get to the birthday celebrations. Uh, but they used the Air Force jets to get there. Uh, and it cost quite a bit of money because I think one trip alone, uh, just on fueling, costs upwards of 60 or so thousand rands or something. So a lot of those back and forths really incurred a hefty bill for the Air Force. So why do you think this is something we should talk about? Yes, I think I think it's important. You know, first, you know, this issue reflects uh, the conflation between the party and the state, you know, uh, the party. And, the state. and this is because of the parliamentary electoral laws. You see, because of the current parliamentary electoral laws, where people vote for the party, yeah. uh, as such, society and the public sometimes get confused as to the difference between the party, the ANC, and the government. Mm. And this is why this happened. But basically, this is completely wrong, you know, to uh, use uh, the state resources for party activities. Because when ANC reaches 112 years, Mm. It's the ANC, the political party. So the state really should not be funding the parties, uh, you know, pa- uh, pa- uh, the, the political parties right. because otherwise other parties also maybe we want to have some money for their birthday parties, and we can't mm. have that yeah. as a citizen. So right. it's completely wrong. All right. So this is about separating state from party, and it's something we've often discussed on Power Talk. Uh, and some of our listeners have really grasped it, but others still say we're being very petty. But be that as it may, would it be possible, because senior members of the ANC are also um, senior members of the executive, and in this instance we're talking the deputy president and the president and quite a few members, in fact, the majority of the cabinet, to be honest, are members of the ANC and members of the NEC. Would it be easier for security reasons, for logistics, and just for, you know, uh, keeping things streamlined? You know, because what you're saying is 
the president should use a separate aircraft, a separate helicopter to get to the celebrations in Bombela. But in the morning, he's the ANC president at the party. But in the afternoon, he's still the president of the nation. So to just keep things a little bit more streamlined, would it help if the ANC rented the jet from the Air Force and paid for the cost? So still kept the president on his official jet, but paid for the cost of transportation to the party? Yes, I think when the president is uh, acting as the president of the party, not the president of the state, then the party should be funding those uh, expenditures because it's a party matter. It's not the state matter. But when the president is moving about the country as a state president, then the state must uh, fund uh, those seats. So so we have to mark that difference. There has to be that line of differentiation between the party and the state. So when the president is now on the ANC, a celebration party in Bombela. It's an ANC party issue. It's got nothing to do with the South African state. Yeah. So the other members of uh, the public, the citizens, don't have to pay for that because other citizens are not members of the ANC. ANC it's true. So what I'm saying is if the ANC, so let us, let us say he is still allowed to use the jet. I'm just speaking hypothetically because it just, it's just easier. Would the cost of transporting the ANC president to Mbombela, could, could they be incurred by Lutuli House? So in other words, when the jet leaves and that 30,000 rands per hour is incurred on the crew, that is the 30,000 rand that's paid by Lutuli House, not by the office of the president. Would that make it more palatable? Yeah, I think so. I think so. In this particular case, it would make it more palatable. Because I'm just thinking in other countries, uh, such as in the UK, or during apartheid, you know, when the Nationalist Party was in charge mm-hmm. or the United Party was in charge, uh, during that time also, the party issues, uh, because the electoral law, parliamentary electoral law was different, would have been handled different from today, you know. Yeah. Uh, so when the Nationalist Party has got its own party celebration somewhere, uh, it would not have expected that the taxpayer of the time yeah should uh, pay for yeah. Nationalist Party celebration because uh, Helen Suzman and the other party members of other would not have uh, yeah. agreed to that. Yeah. You know? No, I think you've, you've made the point really well. I'm just trying to be a devil's advocate and saying, well, you know, um, even though in that capacity he was ANC president, by the end of the celebration, he reverts back to being SA president. So perhaps he can stay on the official jet for security reasons. But the ANC must pay for it. That's all I'm trying to establish. Or do you think, no, that blurs the lines. The ANC must procure its own jet. And whenever it has official functions, they must use their own jets and their own helicopters. Or better still, they must put their officials on a bus, or on a train, or on SAA. Yeah, I think I think it's, it's okay for the president for security. But then the ANC must foot the bill in, that case, in the case of yeah. the president. Okay. But in the case of other officials, they must just go into a plane, a normal plane, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, because other, I mean, in other in other countries, ministers go with bicycles to work, exactly. you know. So we don't really have to spend too much money as yeah. taxpayers to yeah. to fund the lavish trips of uh, various members of uh, parliament okay. or various ministers. Okay. We shouldn't. And the second issue around this one is the fact that the Air Force has repeatedly said it's in financial dire straits. We hear about helicopters and planes that haven't been maintained for 
quite a few years or months fuel that can't be brought uh, that can't be bought because the South African Defence Force has run out of money. Its budget for the last fiscal year is inadequate. So what this is telling us is you are using the aircraft of an air force that already is um, dealing with a cash crunch. And if the country were ever to find itself under attack, this military cannot defend the nation. And yet this military is fearing ANC officials. So what do you make of the state of the South African Defence Force? Yeah, I think it, I think it, 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 it is an unfortunate state, you know, because the South African Defence Force uh, being responsible for the defence of the sovereignty of the country should always be, you know, ready, combat ready. And under this condition, it is not really combat ready because if it doesn't have enough fuel for jet, it doesn't have enough money to cut the border, it doesn't. So basically, it's not in a good state. The current uh, South African Defense Force is not in a good state. And uh, of course, it's affected by the general economy of the country, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the other part of the economy. The state-owned enterprises have collapsed. Most of them mm. are not functioning properly. And so that's the problem because there's no money. And the money has been, unfortunately, in most of the cases, uh, you know, depleted by various ministers, mm. uh, board members, and management of the various state-owned enterprises. That, that's unfortunate. Yeah. But the South African Defense Force is not in a good state. Yeah, not fit for purpose. And I think that's the broader question we should be asking as well. Uh, Okay, and then um, the second headline, also coming from the City Press, uh, it reads, ANC kicks Zuma issue to touch and puts disciplinary steps on hold for now. So this whole issue has to do with the launch of the MK party. And what the City Press reports is that sources tell them that on Thursday evening, uh, senior ANC members met in a war room situation where for them, this is make or break life or death, war room, existential issues. And central to the discussion was the formation of the MK party and the standing of President Jacob Zuma as an ANC member and yet the face of a breakaway party. Um, and apparently a lot of discussions were had about whether or not, in terms of the ANC constitution, somebody who launches a splinter group should be disciplined. And others fearing that to discipline uh, the former ANC president and former state president, Jacob Zuma, would actually make him a martyr. It would make him so popular that he'd be like a martyr in the country. Do you want to explain what this is all about? Yeah, look, uh, I, I don't really accept that, you know, uh, because... <clears throat> This uh, this point about the, the former president Zuma being a martyr, you know, is, I think it's over it's overdone, you know, uh, because from the time when he was supposed to be arrested to Shabir Sheikh, uh, he became a victim. Then uh, he was supposed to be protected you know, all the time, and he has never been to court up to now. So basically, I think that thing, the ANC cannot be uh, subordinated to you know uh, Zuma's uh, you know uh, uh, feelings or Zuma's. Uh, uh, supposed popularity. He's not popular more than the ANC, you know? Uh, and uh, so the ANC should be principled. Take a stand. This is a man who is going, who's doing wrong things, who is now supporting a new party. He should be expelled from the ANC, basically. Now, because most of the people who are in charge of the ANC now are his former subordinates, uh, 
they are implicated in many things that he did in the past when he was the president for nine years. That's why they, they, they that, that's why they don't have the the courage to discipline him, mm-hmm. and they think that the the ANC will be compromised when they discipline him. But it's because they are implicated. They were working with him. They were under him, and they did. I mean, President Zuma did most of the things he did with them, and this is why they don't have the courage to to stand up and and stop stop him from mm-hmm. continuing to abuse the M- MKNA. He should be expelled, basically, in my mind. Okay. For, for bringing the ANC into disrepute. But the current ANC leadership doesn't have the courage, you know, okay. nor the will to do that. So, so unfortunately, it's at the expense of the ANC. So what you're saying is it's a clear-cut issue, okay? Yes. What needs to happen? If it were anybody more junior or, or less prominent in the ANC, it would have been easy for them to expel him. So on principle, they should do what is right. Um, but let's explore a theory. And this is just the theory. Uh, that I have heard. I don't think it's been expressed by the ANC either, but uh, there is a view that with President Zuma insisting that he remains a member of the ANC, just that he won't campaign for this particular administration of the ANC, um, there is a view that his popularity is such that the MK party could unseat the ANC, especially in a province like uh, KwaZulu-Natal. And what will happen then is, without anybody getting a clear majority, the MK party in a place like KwaZulu-Natal then becomes a kingmaker. And what he would then do is deliver those MK votes back to the ANC. So we may look at the MK party as a splinter group, but ultimately it could be the saving grace for the ANC and that would cement the Zuma legacy over the ANC. Well, I think that's what people think. I don't really think, I don't really buy that story. Personally, I don't think that the MK party will be bigger than, uh, will win the elections in the KZN. Right. I think that the KZN election, most likely, is going to go to ISP, you know, uh, under the conditions, uh, especially if the ANC does not, in KZN, does not clean up the list, the candidate list. You see, the point we have at the moment is the candidate list of KZN or Gauteng, uh, you know, with people implicated in Zondo Commission, uh, VBX, Etiwini, with solid waste, you know, in various scandals. That is where the problem lies. That is where the problem lies. Mm-hmm. And the voters are interested in service delivery, not really interested with many names, you know. Mm-hmm. So MK political parties more, you can look at it like Cove, the other time. Mm-hmm. It's the clash of personalities rather than clash of policy. You know, the quota left ANC because he didn't like what Zuma and so on. But they had no policy difference. Mm-hmm. Now, in this time, if Zuma lives in Ramaphosa, he doesn't have policy difference with Ramaphosa. His personality mm-hmm. and his own party, that he has not yet gone to the trial, you know, okay. uh, of, uh, you know, I'm still up to now. He's still uh, spinning around, you know. So okay. I, I don't think that he, I buy that story. I don't think that it's going to, MK political parties going to have much impact than most people think. Okay. I don't think so. It's just a, a, a faction of uh, egotistical megalomaniac leaders fighting amongst themselves. Okay. So um, another headline, and this one was in the Sunday Independent, reads, Gordon to finalize SAA deal despite failure to provide answers. Now this speaks to the Minister of Public Enterprises having given notice last week 
that uh, in the Government Gazette that he intends to introduce the repeal of the South African Airways Act of 2007 in the National Assembly in the coming weeks. And what that repeal would do uh, is introduce one of two bills meant to reposition state-owned enterprises, in this case SAA, and then ultimately pave the way to finalize this transaction of SAA. So what do you understand in the story? And... um, what you know? What are the processes he's following, and why does it lead people to believe it's almost a fait accompli, the sale of SAA? Yeah, look, I think at the moment the 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 the, the truth is that the the state-owned enterprises are bankrupt. Most of them, mm. they don't have the money, mm. and so now some people, of course, have uh, have to ca- find cover stories to say we are uh, we're looking for. Uh, partnerships and so on. But in essence, it's because they are bankrupt and they've been mismanaged by board members and, uh, uh, you know, uh, management uh, committees of this own state-owned enterprises. Mm -hmm. And Minister Kodan has been there now as a minister for the last five years, I think. Mm -hmm. And so he has not managed really to restore them and he has not managed to recover them. So basically, uh, what, what he's trying to do is to this partnership story is indirectly uh, privatizing some of them because they don't have the money to, mm-hmm. to run them anymore. You see? So I, I, I'm not really impressed with his performance at the moment, uh, Minister Kodan, because I think he, he has been there for now the last five years. Right. He should have done better in terms of restoring the management of the state-owned right. enterprises, whether it's Transnet or ESCOM right. or PRASA. You know, he should have yeah. in South Africa and everything. And I think it's not done enough in my mind. Okay, and there's two things also in terms of um, the speed, perhaps, of pushing through uh, these um, projects is that we've been told already that as of this year, there's going to be a dissolution of the Ministry of Public Enterprises, that, um, you know, something like an SAA might go back to the Ministry of Transport and something like an ESCOM might go back to the Ministry of Energy or Electricity. So there's going to be a rationalization. And so perhaps is that the urgency with which he's acting right now? Yeah, look, I don't know about that, but it's possible that that's going to happen. But you see, that's not going to be the solution. The, the problem there is, is the personnel, the board members, mm. and the management committees running this uh, you know, institution. That is where the problem lies. If you have crooks there and thugs there, even if you change the structures, you somersault the structures, mm. the, the, the things are going to continue okay. declining because the problem is the personnel running this uh, right. institution, the board members, okay. the management, the ministers who are in charge. Okay. You know, as long as the ministers are still, uh, you know, uh, those who are there, mm. uh, things will go on like this. It's, yeah. it's not about restructuring structures. It's the personnel. Right. It's the personnel. Okay. You know? But but I just wanted to push back. I don't want to belabor this. Is that yeah. there is uh, there is a global practice where national carriers are privatized or enter into joint ventures and they seem to work well. Qantas, Australia, British Airways. Uh, Sweden and Norwegian Airways, known as SAS. Malawian Airways is owned by Ethiopian Air. Air France, KLM. All of those entities, they are flag bearers for the country, but they are not owned as assets of those states. So is there a need for the state to own SAA, really? Look, 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 I I understand what you are saying. And I also understand that those airlines are running that way. But the problem is, it all comes from the management of those airlines. 
mm-hmm. because the airlines were not uh, uh, you know managed properly by the state. Mm-hmm. That's why they had to increase the private sector to to to, to run and the state just be another shareholder. Mm-hmm. But it's because the management. It's because of the management. Okay. I don't know about the Ethiopian airline. Maybe it's still run by the state. Yeah. I'm not sure. Ethiopian airlines is. But but what I'm yeah. just saying is other airlines have been commercialized, privatized, and they seem to be working well. So, you know, should we be beholden to this idea of SAA being a state-owned enterprise? But 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 that's a conversation for another day. Uh, DRC, finally, the president, uh, Etienne Chisagiri, sworn in for a second term. Um, he is said to have won this election by 73%. NGOs and civic organizations question this outcome. They doubt that number. But nonetheless, he was sworn in. But an interesting thing happened. Close-up shots of the president show that he's wearing some sort of a bulletproof vest. So people are saying he's being inaugurated when really and truly uh, he himself doesn't feel particularly secure in the DRC. Well, you know, that's possible to see in the... Uh, still, we have that problem in Africa, of course, of uh, maybe elections not being run uh, properly, you know, free and fair, and, uh, you know, leaders uh, manipulating the elections in one way or another, winning elections without uh, mm. proper procedures. So that's possible. I, I, I'm, I'm not very sure, actually, whether uh, uh, what happened, but I think the NGOs, uh, the independent uh, mm. observers that were observing, mm. The, the report from them maybe should be taken as uh, authentic. If they say that the elections were not free and fair, maybe they are right because mm-hmm. they are there. They were there on the ground to watch all okay. that, you know. And they, right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for your views. We've run out of time, but I do think uh, DRC will continue to be an issue we focus on because this year the UN peacekeeping mission Monuac uh, is going to be scaling down. In fact, withdrawing, we're told, by the end of 2023. And they've been active uh, to try to keep the peace, a semblance of peace in the very volatile flashpoint that is Eastern DRC. Uh, and the uh, president himself, shortly before being re-elected, was very bellicose in his language, saying that uh, if re-elected, he would declare war on Rwanda, uh, whom he accuses of destabilizing Eastern Congo, mineral-rich uh, Congo, um, by supporting militia. So I think, um, you know, a lot of things are likely to flare up in the DRC, hopefully not. But I think it's for, for for issues of security and for issues of trade, it's going to remain a very strategic and important country to watch. But I want to thank Omre Mahwale for his time. It's time for the news. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.